Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash, the CEO of Booktopia, back with you again. And of course, I have a new author with us today, Judith Beck. She's got a very catching title, No Sex at Work. I'm sure some people are looking at that going, what does she even mean by that? It's about leadership, not gender, career tips and strategies to thrive. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So no sex at work. You've obviously thought about the title um, and you you thought um, by putting sex in there, it'll grab people's attention, which it does. So, um, but just, you know, where, where does that, where do the origins of that kind of come from? Uh, you're, Cause you're obviously talking about career. You're talking about how you, how people can uh, kind of fast track their career or get to where they want to, breakthrough ceilings and things so where, where did that kind of originate from and you came up with that title came up with that title well it, it all came about um, I ran an executive search firm for over 25 years and um, during that time placing executives in roles I the, the thing that stood out to me was that leadership was not about your gender so um, the, the things that were preventing people from getting to uh, the top positions, mainly women, uh, had nothing to do, in my view, about their gender and more about business skills. And I wanted to, I wanted to, um, you, you know, sort of look at the experience and what I had seen over the years and put it into a book that talks about leadership, um, not being a gender, and what do you need, need to do to get from A to B, and successfully. And a lot of that I looked at as well through my own upbringing because um, my, my family, my, my upbringing, I, had, I was the youngest of six of five girls and all my sisters were, were successful and my mother was uh, very supportive, my, grandma, my grandmother and my father. And, and when I went into my first role within the um, financial services, I didn't go, oh, I'm a female. <laughs> Oh, I'm a gender. Um, you know, guys are going to hit on me, and I'm going to be discriminated against. I never that never even crossed my mind. I all I thought about was how do I get from A to B? What do I need to do, and what are the skills that I need to do? So all the things that I saw through my executive search days led me to write no sex at work because I wanted um, people to see that leadership is about skills and behaviors and, and, um, uh, um, and about what the top 10 percenters do. So a lot of it is based on what I saw as the top 10% within, the, within that financial services industry. And I mainly dealt with um, the banking and finance industry. What did the best of the best do, male and female? And what were their behaviors and how did they get to where they got to? So, I mean, I was in recruitment for 14 years as well. So I, I know what it is to be a recruiter. I was in IT, not in finance. So I saw that as well. I totally agree with you in, ter in terms of um, having any prejudgments about whether you, I mean, some, some people do it, whether they have an MBA or not an MBA or a degree or not a degree, or there's always, there's always this backstory about yourself that you run to go, well, because I have, this is my, these are my origins. So therefore I'm dealing with th these cards and therefore that's, but I definitely saw men and women um, 
even graduates who had got no experience, why did they get that job um, versus somebody else? And it's it's very inspiring when you actually um, peel that all away and just look at what you know what are they doing to to um, find to, they've kind of as you say A to B, but they're really focused on the B. Um, yeah. So so when we think about your book, then are you going into uh, into that? Um, um, I mean, you've you've kind of referred to gender and no sex at work. It's not about leadership. It's about leadership, not gender. But there's obviously many other things even beyond gender. Um, is kind of like it sounds like what you're saying. Um, is that right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, to me, it's to me, it's about what your what, um, what your skills and your behaviors are, and your and support systems. And a lot of things happen with um, if you think about when you go into the work environment. So if we do look at gender. Um, from a separation of uh, the girls and the boys, when they go into the work environment as graduates, what we found, and we did, um, we did surveys on this as well, that the boys go in and they tend to have somebody in their corner, like a brother or a father or someone that goes in, ask for more, you know, that type of thing. And, and they ask for more and they get it. And then the girls will go, thank you very much for the job. And then we also tracked that the boys would, um, uh, when they would go from one position to another position within the organization, they would keep in contact with their, their team leader, or their manager. So then they start collecting mentors and advocates. And the girls, um, when we did the survey at FRG years ago, the girls said to us, that they didn't because if the ex-manager was a male, they wouldn't feel it was appropriate. And if the ex-manager was a female, um, they didn't want to bother her. And the guys, they didn't care if it was female or male. <laughs> so, so when you have, as you know, as a, as a past recruiter, when you see candidates and they have people in their corner, it's an advantage. If they've got people and then they start collecting them as they get into the more senior level roles and then all of a sudden they're going for an interview and they've got somebody who they can ask for advice and a heads up or background of the person that they're interviewing or background of the company whatever the whatever the intel is that they're looking for if they've got all those people in their corner they're always going to have an advantage and it's always going to help them in the interview and so the guys by the time that they're at a senior manager role, they have between seven and 12 advocates in, the cor in their corner and women had less than one. And that's, and so when I was looking at, so be, because I, I knew lots of women who had gotten to senior level roles. And then, and then I, so when I look at them and then I look at, well, why did I get to where I have gotten to? And my sisters and other things, if there were no women, ever or only one getting um, a position, then, then you'd go direct discrimination. But when there, when there are women, well, why are they getting there? So what are, what are the issues? Because you know, I, I took lots of briefs for um, senior level positions and not once did I have a client um, or, or did I ever feel that the client was discriminating. They just wanted the best person for the role. And the thing is the pools were too small. So if they would go, I want someone with five years experience, this, that, and the other. Well, 
a lot of times women didn't weren't at that level yet. So uh, I'd have to go, well, if you want a balanced team, you're going to have to uh, hire to capabilities because there's not someone in the industry right now who has five years experience at that level in a, as a female. And so, you know, you have to work with them from that point of view, but they weren't, they wanted balance in their team. They wanted people, you know, they wanted, but they just weren't there. And, and so looking at all those things that, that I saw over the years, why aren't they getting to the top at the same rate as the guys it wasn't one dimensional. It wasn't one thing. It was a whole bunch of stuff. You know, it was the advocates. It was, you know, right from, from I go into the book as well about uh, early, you know, how we grow up and how school, you know, like in school, you have your, your bullies and your teacher's pets and your, you know, and sometimes we take all that schoolyard stuff to the work environment and um, you have clicks, you have those types of things. Well, all those things, how you've been brought up will impact you when you go into your first job. So, you know, if you're, if, if you're lucky enough, like I didn't have great mentors with my sister and my mother. So my dad lost his job when he was 40, back, back in, you know, a long time ago. And that was a, a situation where um, it was really 40 was, you know, if you were 40 back then and out of job, it was hard to get another one. So my mother went back to work so I saw within the family unit, and then my dad ended up working for her eventually. And so I saw in the family unit that it, mom was the boss and dad was fine with that. And that was, you know, and there was no discussion about women can't do this or women can't do that. But that was lucky for me, but not everybody has that. Mm. So that's why it's really important for um, people to have advocates and mentors when they go into their work into the work environment because that's that's going to help them and so the guys had more not because they're guys and not because they were born that way <laughs> it, it wasn't a gender thing it was just um, a behavioral thing mm. so, so can I ask you then you've been doing this now for you know, three decades either running your own company or uh, working in others and and observing how, how much have you seen things shift then over the last 10 years? Um, is it, I mean, for, for, if we think about where we are today versus 50 years ago, hundred years ago, we've come a long way. Yeah. Um, uh, but when you're right at the coal face, looking at it on a day to day, it feels like nothing's changing, but have you seen much over the last 10, 20 years where things where it's, I won't say a level playing field, because the way that you're talking about it always was, um, and I agree with you, quite frankly, but um, has, have our, has our thinking changed or have the opportunities shifted? Uh, um, where are we up to? I think that I think the fact that is that that over the last yeah, five to 10 years, I think awareness is higher. Have the numbers, you know, I say to people because I had been hearing about quotas back in the 80s. And, um, and, you know, and I was like, frankly, I'm sick of hearing about quotas, <laughs> like change the systems or change the interview process. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that companies can do to get equality within their teams and, and it can be to the process. So, like I said, it's not one dimensional. There's a whole bunch of stuff. But I have I have seen over the I would say probably the last five to 10 years. The fact is, is that 
with awareness. So when I started uh, Financial Executive Women back in 2011, and we started to pair pair women with advocates who were two levels higher than them, but they also had to become an advocate to someone who was two levels lower than they were, both outside their organization, because we were trying to get them to build their networks. And during that time, um, you know, we saw the feedback and what people were saying, the confidence grow, because their, their advocates would give them confidence. We also started um, Few Good Men, which was the, uh, we asked the executives from the different financial services uh, organ and the banks to be advocates to women, because at a certain level, there stops being women who can be advocates to other women. So the guys were more than happy to be advocates to women a couple levels lower than them to help them into those um, management positions to run divisions and boards and that type of thing. And what the feedback we got was that it was a real eye opener. And, you know, it gave them confidence to um, ask and to, you know, sort of go for the position. So, you know, I, I noticed that when I was running FRG, when I was doing executive search, that um, the women weren't putting their hands up for the roles. So they were waiting to be asked or they didn't think they ticked enough boxes. And so I got to the point um, as, a, as a business, we would take the assignment on um, as an internal and an external process. So then I would say to the company and I'd say, well, where are the women um, from your organization? Why haven't they applied? Where the, you know, because I was supposed to be doing the interviews. And they'd go, well, we, we put it out there, but they didn't apply. And then I'd, I'd have to actually say to them, do you mind if I actually headhunt out of your own organization? Because there'd be other divisions. So I'd get their permission. And then I would, I would call the, 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 the female candidates from their organization. And I'd say, there's a role in XYZ division. It's a, you know, a general manager role. This, oh, um, look, it, the timing's not right. Or, you know, I'm, I'm really happy where I'm at right now. And then I'd have to say, well, I know you're happy. <laughs> I'm not calling the miserable people. <laughs> I'm calling the ones that I think are really good. And the, the time will never be right. The timing will never be right for making a move to another role. You'll always be in the middle of something. So I'd actually have to persuade them to come to the table. And, but in the last five to 10 years, with, with, more, with women having more advocates and having more people, because uh, um, my organization, when I started a few, there's other women's organization, like women in banking and finance and women in super and a whole bunch of them that are doing fabulous uh, chief executive women, a whole bunch of them. We all kind of came at about the same time and they're all doing great supportive work. So with, with, the, um, with that happening, means that women are getting more support. They're getting more awareness. They're, people are, people are um, in their corner telling them to, to go for it and they're doing it. And so you do see, you, you, I have seen a difference. I believe that, you know, that, um, and also too, the great, the other great thing is the companies are being so much more flexible. So they're not feeling like, okay, because I have two young children, I can't, go for that role. 
you know, or I can't relocate. So they're, they're going, no, I can do this because my company supports it. And I can work from home two or three days a week, or I can, you know, when, if I have another child, uh, they have a great maternity policy and I don't have to worry about um, being behind the eight ball. So the companies are also doing a lot of things to, to make sure that they're uh, getting a balance and things are equitable. So I'd say within the last five, the last five to 10 years, I think there has been a lot of um, a change and, and social media, and that has a lot to do with it because anybody who's not doing it is called out. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of like, um, and also it's more of aware, social media gives more of awareness of when roles are available. Where, you know, right now, I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, because with a recruitment background, you know, um, I closed FRG uh, at about 20, I was thinking it was about 2013. And to focus on few on the few business, and and now when you think about it, recruitment companies, you just wonder because Seek and LinkedIn has their own. Um, you know they post all the size, uh, all the positions, and a lot of the companies are doing it themselves. A lot of companies have hired ex recruiters to come in, so um, awareness of the roles I think is out there more where before it was very sort of no one really knew unless they had this kind of network where people told them about the roles. I, I hate to, I'm going to ask a question and I, I, I always worry when you ask, when I ask questions and it's, you know, on a podcast and therefore people can quote me and it, and it's like, maybe I should not and tippy toe around it, but I'm, I'm, I'm just so curious. So given, I mean, it was interesting what you said there about how women weren't applying because they weren't being asked. I find that it's, it's so insightful to get that kind of, um, like to understand what is going on. Do, do you think that historically, and I'm talking now in like, well, hundreds of years, thousands of years, I don't know how many millennia, but the fact that men had to ask women out on a date and then women are waiting to be asked out on a date because that was the way that it was done versus some women who said, no, I'll ask him out um, or I don't have a problem um, being forthright like you know, Mae West and women like that who are very uh, pioneering. Do you, like, does that, is it somehow so like um, ingrained in, in the way that um, we, we were operating that, that that actually ended up being a a um, inhibitor that um, really sucked, but um, and it yeah. just it just needed to be kind of called. Like sometimes when you when you when you name it and call it, and you go, oh, I didn't realize that was going on in the background. All of a sudden, the whole thing pops, and you just kind of blow through to the next level. Do, do you how, you're you've been watching this more than most? What do you think? Well, everything really, when you think about it, everything that happens when you're a child and your influencer back then stick with you <laughs> for a long, long time. So if I think back when I was brought up and things that I would hear, you know, the, um, um, the girls were always told wait to be asked. And, and also if you think about it, they'd go, okay, don't go out and now, and I've even heard friends even, um, in the past when their kids were growing up, the little, the, the daughters don't go out of the, 
don't don't go out past the fence, but the boys could still um, take their bike down to the store. So you know what is that kind of you know the what does that kind of do? I'm thinking I can't go out or wait till we ask. And um, my there's a story in the book where my grandmother, who was really entrepreneurial, really you know 100% Irish, you know five foot two, just you know nothing would get past her. We were at a um, one of her friends' house, and her friend said pulled me over and said, oh, you know, Judy, it's just as easy to marry a rich man as it is a poor man. And my grandmother was so angry and she pulled me aside and she goes, you don't listen to her. You make your own money and you'll have choices. And now that stuck with me. That stuck with me. And that was like, seriously, I don't even know how many years ago that was. That was probably, that was probably 50 some years ago. And, and so, you know, those are the things that you, and I was thinking about today about, you know, how kids always go, um, you know, they're in the back and they go, why? And they go, why? And parents get really annoyed and go, because I said, and they go, why? But at some point, the child will stop asking why. And then you wonder whether or not that stops them from asking more questions because they're still asking why, for whatever reason, because they it hasn't sunk in the answer. And so, and that's where, you know, that's where that everything that we have that we that's happened when we we're younger stays with us. And if you have um, when I used to interview, I remember this one kid I interviewed one time, and he was about 21 years old, but he was about 40 in maturity. Right? And, and he, he was going over that he worked in his family's um, fish and chip shop. And, you know, he put himself through school through university, you know, university had just graduated, put himself through university and did all these odd jobs, you know, uh, delivering papers as well. And I thought to myself at the time, man, that kid's going to be an entrepreneur when he gets older, or he's going to be running something because he was just, you know, and that, and that was the background. And he did, his career did go off. And you do sort of see who the people are in your corner, whether if you haven't got a good family unit and they're not gonna help you, well, there's somewhere along the way, somebody does need to help. And I always say to people who, when they say, well, I didn't really have a good upbringing and I didn't have it, but, well, you gotta find good mentors who do, surround yourself with positive people. Those are the ones you know, that were, my, um, there was another one where a friend where her daughter, this is only a few years ago, and her daughter was going to a private school. And at the last year, um, they have this go, they go away. And the, um, the boys, for their final day, the boys were said, ask your father in and we're going to go to the campfire and we're going to carve horses. And the girls were said, ask your mother to come in and we're going to go to the auditorium and we're going to talk about our feelings. <laughs> right? and, and there was a group of girls within the, the school that said, no, this is not right. Why aren't we, why, did, why can't we car horses? <laughs> and, my, and my thing was, why wasn't everybody given the choice of one or the other or all do the same thing? And that if that's still happening in schools, then that's going to be something. So behaviors have to stop um, and things need to change. And I think they are because these things start to, but it, it, it can't hope it, it won't happen overnight. Mm. Yeah. The earth, 
the earth is not flat and it didn't take a while. <laughs> it's not flat. That's it didn't right. take a while for the world, the rest of the world to catch up and realize, oh yeah. I mean, I can't I haven't kind of researched the history on that, but I'm sure when somebody um when when of um I forget who it was, uh, for some reason I'll I'll know who it is when I when I um stop the podcast, but uh, whoever it was that said, oh no, actually the world is is spherical. Um how long did it actually take for the everyone to really catch up and go got it yeah because of course we all know that today um, yeah exactly. let's, let's get back to your book no sex at work i've got judith beck with me or judy beck it's about leadership not gender career tips and strategies to thrive and when i open it and i look at the table of contents you've got nine chapters and because of your background in recruitment and i'll kind of ask this question so um, people get an idea if they're going to buy it and hopefully they will be motivated to buy it from Booktopia or from any other bookshop, please um, just go out there and buy it. It seems like there's a lot here because of your background in recruitment, um, your job application, the interview, your first day at work, different chapters. How much of it is actually about getting that next opportunity, like seizing the moment, seize the day, carpe diem, and and getting the next job versus, because you've said here, it's about leadership, not gender, career tips and strategies to thrive. But for someone who's thinking of this um, and buying it maybe for themselves or for a friend, is it because they're kind of maybe stuck in a rut or they're looking to get that first job or what? who's the best person uh, to be re in buying this and reading it? Yeah, absolutely. I, I wrote it, there's a lot of information in the book. So I wrote it for the point of view that this is a book that you take through your career and you earmark it. And then at certain points, you're gonna go back and you're gonna go, I'm going, for, I'm going for performance appraisal today. I wanna to negotiate my salary. So I'm gonna go back and look in that chapter and, and refresh. I'm going, you know, I've got my first management position or I've gone to a new job within a new company. And what are the things that I need to, to look out for? And how do I make sure I get off on the right foot? So. You know, it, it, it really encompasses everything from and how, um, you know, mentors, how do I get mentors and how do I utilize mentors to make sure I get the best out of their advice and why is that important? Communication skills, um, I, you know, having to do your first presentation in public, you know, and how to build your brand and why brand is so important and how it can really um if you damage your brand, how it can go with you for a long, long time as well. So there's a lot of stories in there, real life stories that happen with um, people that that I had, you know, seen over the years and what worked and what didn't work. So there's a lot of do's and don'ts in there. So, um, you know, I think it is a book where, where people will have it throughout their career. You know, the funny thing is, is that being successful in a in in a career it's not that hard <laughs> if you're consistent and if you and when i look at those top 10 percenters and i look okay well what did they do different than everybody else they followed certain rules of engagement consistently and of course they you know they had the technical ability and you got to have that that goes without saying but there's a lot of people who have strong technical ability or have strong backgrounds and they've never gone anywhere. And why? Why didn't they go anywhere? Because they forgot the basics. They forgot the basic common courtesies and you know, treating people. There's a 
there's a, a section in there that I talk about what I call levelizing. And what I saw was really powerful uh, with the top 10 percenters. They treated every single person with respect and did not levelize. So they knew that the person who, the receptionist, important stakeholder, the managing director's PA, important stakeholder, people that work in accounting, important stakeholder, marketing, they knew and treated everybody well. And, and the reason that's important is because then people did things for them. And then people spoke nicely about them. <laughs> and at every industry is big, but small. And so that was one of the things they, you know, they would do things like, uh, you know, I, I've had so many people who've told me that when their boss comes into work in the morning, they don't even say hello, which, which I find bizarre. And those are little things that, because people think, oh, they don't even say hello. They don't think, they all, you know, your team starts to feel like, you know, aren't I valued? Or they start thinking you're arrogant um, or you're having a bad day. And that's such a little thing, a little bit of effort that results in a big win. And top 10 percenters get it. They get it. They get that relationship building. And they're also very good about, telling their teams and people why they're doing things. Because so many times people at all levels are given a directive, just do this, but they're never told why. So there's a lot of things in there in the book where, we, where I go over what, how are you going to be a top 10% and what do you need to do to get there? And that's at all levels. So the book really is great, I think, for anybody from graduate level up to general manager level, because it's, it's all those behaviors go through you, go through um, each job that you have. It's a good point. So, so then, um, and th thank you for your answer there, but I just wanted to just check, um, going for the interview versus being in the role, like you've, you, you need them all, you need all those skills, which of course, but, You've dedicated quite a, um, it seems like in terms of the chapters, quite a bit towards getting that role. Is it, So is it really good um, having been in recruitment and watched other people succeed like I did? Is it is it um, going to be really beneficial for someone who's thinking, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it, or I've got a big interview coming up or um yeah, I think absolutely that there's a there's um there's a, a story that I got this is an example of um people going for interviews and not and not going in totally prepared because it's kind of like if you're not totally prepared then you're going to waste a lot of your time because it can fall over at the last minute and you know there's so much there's so much preparation that you need to do these days for every single interview and that's right from the point of your application. So once you get the interview, then there's another whole process. And then you've got the first interview. And then depending on the level that you're going, you might have three or four after that. And there's certain things that you need to do each step of the way, right to the point of that final interview. And, and I'll, the example that I use in the book is about um, someone who was going for a very senior level role. And did all the right behaviors, got all the way to the very end, was going for, a, it was a relationship type of role in a private banking type area. They, the, the manager director comes down 
um, from one state to the next state and does the final interview with this person who at the time was the preferred candidate. And at the very last part of the, the meeting, gets up, shakes his hand and says, thanks mate. Well, this person was not a mate person, right? And you don't call him mate. And so he get, comes, after the interview, he calls me and he goes, I'm not going forward with that candidate. I was shocked. Cause you know how you got the, you know, the candidate, you think, oh, this is gonna, we're gonna place this by Friday. And, and I go, why? And he goes, he called me mate. And I said, well, but that in the, in the state that he's in, he goes, hey, Judith, it doesn't matter because I'm not a mate person and he didn't know his audience. Mm. And I went, I can't argue with that because he's got to be dealing with clients and he's got to know the, he's got to know each different kind of uh, uh, high net worth type client that he was going to be dealing with. And if that, per he should know. So that was where it fell over at the very last minute. So you have to know every part of the process. Now an advocate or a mentor, if he would have known someone that knew that person, they would have told him that. They would have told him, this person is not a mate person and you better keep it, you better keep it formal. Mm. And that's the thing with interviews. You've got to, you know, you, you, your, your network will be very important to help you through that process. But there's also, I go into details about certain questions that you should be prepared to, to answer at, at uh, especially senior level roles. Um, and, and also how to state your achievements. A lot of people don't know how to state their achievements and that will fall over if you don't know how to do that. And um, I go into detail because a lot of women don't even put, wouldn't even put achievements on their resume. And that's because they haven't had the advocates in the past to say, put your, <laughs> put your achievements on your resume. And so, you know, really being able to define what your achievements are in an interview is, is important. And um, I go over something called the so what principle that if you say a statement about an achievement and you can still say, so what at the end of it, you haven't said enough. And so there's, there's lots of those things, but those are things that also within your career, you're always going to be going to for a performance appraisal at some time at stage. You're always gonna go for either an internal or an external interview, how to handle it, what to do, what to say. Um, you know, there's, there's lots of those types of things in there as well that practical it's very practical and lots of examples about what people have done in the past and what worked and what didn't so i think everyone who's listening today or listening whenever you're listening to it 29.95 where booktopia i just had a look we're selling it for 21.25 at the moment i don't know what it will be on the day that you look but seriously guys for under 30 bucks don't you reckon that you buy this book you could add another twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars to your annual salary just by reading what Judith has spent years accumulating. Um, it's not—it's not such a big book either. It's one of those books that you might buy uh, when you're traveling from Sydney to Melbourne um, and back, and you'd probably read the whole thing. And and so therefore, it's—it's um, it's worth its weight in gold, literally. Um, <laughs> And, and uh, it's, it's going to be, I, I've, I've been in recruitment and I've, I've um, watched people's careers 
flourish and and uh, men and women and and it's inspiring and sometimes it's just those little things that just make all the difference and and that's kind of like what you're talking about so if you think about the book and you okay so you've talked about no sex no it's you know no sex at the interview um which is kind of a funny one but um <laughs> but, you know, no sex in public no sex here no sex like you've obviously used that as as a way of just jolting us to think about something in a certain way because it is like watching a a, a graphic piece of art and going oh uh, that that's that's quite uh, provocative or it's it's quite um stark um but but within all of the thing all the chapters that you've got here is there anything that we haven't covered today that you really want to make sure that we um you know those that are listening that could take it away and go yeah that's that's a really good tip or that's a that's a really good insight that might um just make a difference in what they're doing i think i think if we look at today with um everything that we've had to go through for the last couple of years and companies um probably being cash strapped a lot of them um as far as people wanting to ne negotiate a higher salary because a lot of people will be going oh you know i want to you know i've been there and i've been done this and i've done that and um, I want to negotiate a higher salary. What do I need to do? But the company doesn't have the money. And a lot of times people will say to me, and they've said it to me over the years, I know that they, that's going to be an issue because it happened to somebody else or whatever. And, and, I, I, and I go through this in the book as well. You know, if the company doesn't, well, first of all, you got to ask. If you want, to, if you want an increase, you've got to, you've got to ask. Otherwise, they're not just going to give it to you. <laughs> I very rarely know anybody that will just go, hey, guess what? We're going to give you an increase. I mean, there's some good companies that may do that, but it's fewer um, and far between. Um, you've, you've got to, you, it, first of all, you, you, do, you need to know the why. Why should they give you an increase? And that's only achieved by you understanding what your achievements have been through the year over and above what's required. So you have all those already. So then you're going, getting ready and you make that time with your manager to have um, a chat about an increase. And they say, we think you've done a great job. You're fabulous, but we've got no money in the budget. The whole company has, you know, there's, there's hold on the budget. Don't just walk away from that <laughs> and say, oh, accept it because there might not be a dollar amount that they can give in your salary, but there might be some other kind of benefit that will replace the dollar amount that you will find as a as a higher value. And um, you know, as an example, you might say, okay, well, if you can't increase my my salary, how about four day week, or how about um, a roster day off once a, once a month, or how about an extra two weeks um, uh, annual leave, something that might not have actually cost them from the point of view of dollar, but might have a value to you that you might be happy with. Or uh, I'd wanna work from at home for two days a week or whatever it is, think about what is, and I, I've actually had lots of conversation, there are examples of that in the book as well, with people who have stopped at the negotiation when, it, when the company has said no. And even when they have, um, 
you know, they've been approached for another job. There's a story in there about someone who was approached for, uh, offered a job, approached for another job, and but they couldn't go up higher in the salary because it was at the top of the range and they were going to um, stop there. And because the company said, it's our best and final. And let me tell you, it's never the best and final until it's your best and final. <laughs> because you're the one getting the offer. So until you're happy with it and don't take something you're not happy with, because if you take it something that you're not happy with, you're going to go into that job and you're going to be dissatisfied with your salary and it's going to um, uh, be on your mind and it's not going to be good for your integration into the organization. So don't accept the job unless you're happy with it. So in that case, um, she ended up getting more uh, annual leave and um, a four day, a four day week every two weeks. So that was, and that that had more of a value to her than an extra ten thousand dollars. So look at what it, a parking space might have more value. Whatever it is, those are the things. Especially in today's um, uh, market, it's going to be natural for a company to say, "I haven't got the budget," even though they're showing profit. <laughs> Walk away with something. Walk away with something. Depends, you depends which industry you're in because there's a, it's very, um, it's, it, I mean, at the moment, if you're in IT or e-commerce, of course, where we are and other industries that are really powering on, uh, now's the time where um, supply of, of talent is, is low without having access to all the international um, workers and travelers and so forth coming through. There's, um, I was reading on the weekend that there's some people are asking to work in a cafe on the weekends to get paid $50 an hour. So because of the lack of supply, so therefore demand is there, but the supply is low. So supply is low, yeah. yeah so it's yeah. not across the board. Um, I would suggest maybe in the finance area, it's, it's, um, they're seeing a, a downturn perhaps but not, not in other areas. Well, they're talking about the great resignation. You know how you hear all that on the great resignation and that all these people are going to um, resign. Um, and I think a lot of that is hype. And it, because we always hear it at every cycle. I mean, you and I, we've been through, you know, the cycles, you see the cycles. When you go in, you come out, they're about the same thing. And the thing is, is that um, sure, a lot of people, if someone's done surveys, they're going to go, yeah, I'm resigning, I'm out of here, I'm not unhappy, because they've been working from home for two years, probably. But when push comes to shove and the reality hits, as far as whether or not they actually do leave their current organization, that's, they've got to leave somewhere, they've got to go somewhere that's better than where they are. And sometimes the grass is not greener on the other side. So I always say to people during downsize and when there's restructures and those types of things is wait till the dust settles. Because if you leave because something's not happening or um, the communication's not good, because communication is probably not really great within all organizations right now, because you're not physically sitting in an office and hearing things happening and you're not probably getting all the information that, that you would have in the past. Um, you want to make sure that 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 you know what you you know what you're going to go to, but also what you're leaving. And 
the and, and when people leave before the dust settles, they may leave great opportunities because when things start getting back to normal, there will be people who will leave because they retire, they take a package, they've been headhunted, um, or or they're just not happy. There will be people that will, and that opens up opportunities, that opens up promotions, that opens up all kinds of things. So. From one company to the next company, a lot of times with large organizations, especially within financial services, probably not that different. So don't jump ship until you know what you're jumping. And that's where you want to make sure you speak to your mentors and your advocates to know what you're going to and try to wait till that dust settles, because I think that that is important um, uh, these days. The, um, the other thing is, you asked me, is there anything else in the book as far as things that there is a chapter in there that is called no sex talk. And I think that's important to discuss because that's about um, that's language and what's acceptable in the work environment from a language point of view. And I think the thing is, is that um, with, with, with language and, and with, um, communication, if there's something that you're not happy with, you got to make sure you speak up. So if you kind of take away any message, it's like learn to speak up as it happens, if it's something that is not, um, that you're not happy with. And, and I talk about the story about um, when I first was in financial services, and um, I came from a background where I was working in a bank where they were very formal and everybody was called by their last name. And then I went into an environment where it was all of a sudden they were, you know, everybody was Rabo, Baba, and Bill. They sort of had nicknames and things like that. And my, first, and my boss, who was older, I was probably about 28 at the time, and he was in his 40s, he called everybody love. And the first time he called me love, I wasn't, he was going, love, can you do X, Y, Z? And I was like, What's this guy calling me love for? <laughs> that is just not gonna. That, not, that's not gonna cut it. And but my grandmother always taught me catch more bees with honey and nip it in the bud as it happens. And so I thought I can't have this guy calling me love. I, it just made me feel uncomfortable because I was used to formality. And so the next time he called me love, I said, Hey, I don't have a problem with you calling me love if you don't have a problem with me responding, no problem, sweetie. And he just kind of looked, cause I'm sure he probably thought being in his forties, I can't have this young girl calling me sweetie. <laughs> so all he said was point taken. And he never called me love or any other girls um, love. I didn't need to go to HR to make a big song and dance of it. I nipped it in the bud right and then and there. Had a, we had a laugh. You know, because I went, you know, you can't call me. I had a laugh and it didn't ruin the relationship. So if someone's saying something, because we're coming up to the Christmas time right now with Christmas parties and things like that. If someone says something that you don't like, you got you got to call it out right then and there, because sometimes people think, well, and if you don't feel comfortable, you got to speak to someone. You got to go to someone and say, look, this is what happened. I don't feel comfortable. Mm. The um, you know, when I sp speak about the nickname, so this with that talk as well, um, one of the stories is, in there is about um, one of the uh, board members 
that was one of our board members at FEW. In her business, she had a facilitator come in um, and she noticed that within the session that people were calling each other nicknames like Jono, big guy, that kind of stuff. And so she realized that it was a, fami a familiarity that excluded other people, male and female, because then all of a sudden there was this click of people who were calling each other nicknames that would make the other people who weren't, didn't have nicknames feel excluded. So within her organization, um, she mandated that nobody is to call anyone by anything than their given name, what they introduce themselves. And she actually had people coming up to her and saying, thanks, because I didn't like my nickname. <laughs> I'm like, you know, big guy who was sensitive to his weight didn't want to be called big guy. <laughs> so, you know, it was, and sometimes um, I think, you know, when you look at whether it's um, with language, certain things that people get called, regardless if it's gender or whatever, why do we need to be having a chat about that in the work environment? You know, it's a business. You call people by their names. And that was the point of, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about in 06. How do you as an individual get from A to B successfully? Business skills do not have a gender tag on them. Mm. And that's, the, that's, that's where, you know, I think it's important from the moment you walk into the work environment, you think I'm a business person. What do I need to do? I need to deliver the work on time. I need, you know, I need to, I need to, you know, have a certain quality of, you know, one of the things that will will ruin your brand more than anything within an organization is not returning phone calls or emails. And that was one of the biggest complaints that people, oh yeah, so and so when they would go and do reference checking. And people would go, what do you think about John in accounting? Oh yeah, John's a, John's a nice enough guy, but God, he never returns phone calls. And I've tried to email him a few times. Well, that, those little comments about John is enough to knock him out of the running for a big promotion. So little behaviors like that are so important. And like I said before, you know, it's really not that hard to get to be a top 10% if 10 percent or if you're consistent <laughs> do you talk about the values at all like when you say that uh to me and i've seen people um not do it and do it pride is as a personal pride in terms of look that's just the way i operate i have a certain way of operating um and the values do you talk about that at all in the book in terms of personal values because when when you told the story about um, that the guy called you love, and that's happened to me where, where even at a checkout, someone might call me doll or honey or whatever. And it's just like, um, uh, you know, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of expressing their, their value system or how they operate. And that's not how I operate. Um, do you see any common values when you, you see people really that have gone the distance in terms of that they're, they're A to B or is, is more like a, an A to Z kind of journey? I think that uh, the, ones that the, the ones that I consider the top 10 percenters, they've been, it, 
their values is about respect and they value every single person in their team about this is your job and it's just as valuable as this person, even though you might be at different levels, that's an important job and it's valuable. So their values are very much about not levelizing people, but the common courtesies and soft skills. They have very good soft skills. And sure, there, there are people who have gotten to top levels in spite of themselves and they don't have good values. But I also have seen it, it, it kind of like, you know, the old saying, what goes around comes around. I, I think it is very true that if you treat someone negatively, eventually it will come around, something will happen. And um, the ones that are consistent and treat people with the respect, it, I, I've seen it in their whole career. And, you know, over 25 years, you know, I like I used to I would interview people and they'd be at that business development level. And then I'll, you know, uh, 10, 15 years later, they'd be general manager, and managing director. So a lot of the people that I dealt with in the, when I first started doing recruit, recruitment ended up being at the senior roles. And then I could see and I would get to see why. And, and that's why it you know, it isn't, it doesn't come down to the technical side, because you see lots of people who have every degree under the sun, they should, why aren't they up there? Because they don't have, com they don't have um, basic skills of common courtesies and, you know, education is important, but it doesn't get you the job. Might get you in the job door, but it won't get you the job and keep you in the job if you haven't got um, the common courtesy and the basic human skills. Mm. And I think that from a value point of view, people, it's about valuing what people do and for their, and loyalty. You know, if we would, you probably had this happen to you before with consultants, because consultants would, and I had, I had several consultants that had been with um, FRG for 20 years and 17, long-termers. And, and then I had consultants who you know, would go, oh, because we had relationship where they'd be headhunted by other headhunting firms. And they tell me, because I'd always say to them, if you ever get headhunted, that's good. Come and tell me, let's have a chat. And, you know, um, we'll talk about it. Anyway, they tell me when they get, would get headhunted. And, um, and I'd go, did, have you checked out their turnover? <laughs> I, said, I said, don't take anything, we just go on to LinkedIn. And put the company's name in and see what the turnover is of consultants. <laughs> because if the company has a high turnover consultants, that's a warning sign. Mm. And, um, you know, and those, those, and, th and that tells you about their culture. So if you see a company that has a high turnover, well, why? Why don't people, if you see a company where there's long termers in there, well, those people aren't going to stay there unless they're happy with the culture. And, uh, and values these days are even more important than ever because people are really starting to focus in on uh, and reevaluating, probably even now coming out of COVID, they're reevaluating their life. <laughs> and how does my balance, how does my career, my family, everything fit in? Wherever I'm going to be, it's got to it's got to be worth it. And I got to be happy there. There's so there, I think that's one thing COVID has, has done is that's made people really sort of think about where they are and who they're working for. And, um, and I think, you know, like I said, this is a, this is a book that you're going to earmark. 
you know, someone said to me, I had a, we, I do this thing called the um, uh, No Sex at Work book club. And a lot of the, the corporates that I've dealt with in the past have bought bulk books. And then we have a book club and we talk about each um, chapter and it's kind of like a little um, training session. Well, one, once, one client said to me, can we just, can I buy the eBooks? Because there's a whole bunch in no eBooks. And I said, no, <laughs> you can't buy the eBooks. I technically yes you can buy an ebook but this is not an ebook this is a book that I want people to you know like I've done here I want people to earmark and when they've got certain um, situations to be able to go back and look at it because it won't change in, in 10 20 years it'll be exactly the same comic all this will be relevant as relevant it was as relevant 20 years ago as it is today as it probably will be in 20 years <laughs> Geez, Judith, we've we've come out of time, but it's been so great. Congratulations on, on your career and the, and the book, No Sex at Work. It's about leadership, not gender, career tips and strategies to thrive. Judith Beck, um, you can tell everyone that this, this session could go on for another hour because, of course, we both have a common background in, in recruitment and watching people's careers um, flourish. And it's something that I'm always... Um, so uh, inspired in particular at Booktopia to see how people have, have, have developed through the company and then all gone on to other companies and continued to flourish. And, and so we wish you well and thanks for coming on the show. And thanks for having everyone, no sex at work. You can go out and buy that right now. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au